You're listening to the Coach Ella podcast with your host, Phil Trill. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Coach Ella podcast with myself, Phil Trill. This week, I was delighted to be joined by world-renowned throw-in coach, Thomas Granemark. Thomas infamously works with Liverpool FC, Ajax, Ghent, Atlanta United and FC Midtjylland, amongst many other clubs. Thomas is a specialist in the area of throw-ins. To that extent, we speak to Thomas and he delves into his origins about his passion for throw-ins. Also, in terms of his methodology, he speaks about the long, fast and clever throw-in approach. Thomas was fantastic in offering his insights and his passion is clear to see. I hope you enjoy this week's podcast. You're listening to the Coach Ella podcast with your host, Phil Trill. Out of um, how have you been keeping yourself occupied? You know, I know you mentioned the Danish league has just restarted, but uh, how have you been keeping yourself busy? Oh, I've been first of all been using a lot of uh, time to to uh, make a new homepage called uh, thomasgronemark.com. And uh, so use a lot of time on that. I'm also writing on a throw-in book about the long, fast and clever throw-ins. So using uh, some hours every day to do that. I think I've been writing on until now 100 pages or so. So that's pretty okay. And then I used uh, a lot of time talking with, with people all around the world. The last month, I've been having uh, 57 uh, webinars and podcasts and li- live appearances. And that's all from whole Europe, uh, Vietnam, Nepal, Nigeria, today it was Morocco, Brazil, Canada, the States. So I've been pretty busy talking, talking to uh, people and getting my message out there. So yeah, I haven't been bored. So uh. <laughs> listen, I'm very grateful. We're very grateful at Coachella here to, uh, to have you talk, I suppose, to predominantly the Irish kind of area um, of, of, of football. Um, it's it's great to see your passion coming through for throw-ins, you know. So if you're if you're doing fifty-seven webinars, it's something obviously you're incredibly passionate about. Um, so what I'd like to do for, for for some of our listeners here is kind of bring you back to how did this come come about in the beginning? You know, how did this passion develop? Yeah, you can, we can take it back uh, to the mid '80s, and yeah, many years ago, I was uh, playing football myself. The, I was just nine, ten years old, and and uh, one day I saw one of my cousins bent. He did a really long throw in, and and he's six, eight years older than me. And and a couple of days after, also his his uh, older brother Johnny, he also did a uh, did a long throw in. And and perhaps you know, as a kid, when you see grown ups or, or people you admire older than you doing something cool, then you want to do it yourself. So I started trying to like really be better at the long throwing and yeah I, I developed and developed and and as a teenager it was a really really big weapon for me the long throwing I was also a really good football player uh, I, I played played in the highest uh, Danish U19 league and also played against really good players for example like Thomas Graverson who later played for Celtic and Real Madrid but to be honest I wasn't good enough to be a professional football player so but I was very fast. I've never lost a running duel in football. So I thought, hey, why not try myself in athletics? So I went to uh, a local athletics club. It's really small, only like two, two athletes training or so in the whole stadium uh, in, in, in the mid-90s. And uh, yeah, it was really good. Um, I, I, I just had a couple of days training. And then shortly after, I had to go uh, almost a year to the military in Denmark. You have to, yeah, you have to do that as a young man. So, but after that, I had my first real season in athletics, and uh, already the first year I was training, I I came on the Danish national team. I was running 100, 200, 400 meters, also relays, and I had six fantastic years on the Danish national athletics team. Also, I was also several time uh, Danish champion, also individually. And the best result I had together with my teammates was uh, in 2000 in Paris, 
where I, together with my uh, club, Aarhus 1900, won the, the European Championship for clubs in 4x400-meter relays, and I, I ran the last leg. So athletics was pretty successful, but in 2002, uh, I thought, hey, I want to find another sport. It was not because I was bad in athletics suddenly, but because I actually set personal records on 100 and 200 meters. But I had moved, moved to the Western part of Denmark because I met my wife. And, and sometimes you do crazy stuff because, because of love. So um, yeah, I had to find a new sport because I lost my motivation. I was training alone in this little town in Denmark. So I had to find a team sport. So in um, 2002, I changed sport to athletics. And I came on the Danish uh, athletic, uh, sorry, sorry, I changed the uh, sport to bobsleighing. Sorry, uh, I came on the Danish bobsleigh team. Um, and it's a crazy sport where you are driving 130 to 150 kilometers per hour. So, but it, in four years in, from 2002 to 2006, I was traveling all Europe and Canada and the States with the bobsleigh team. And it was in the middle of that bobsleigh uh period that that i thought hey if i can make um a really good throwing can't i teach other players to do it so i went down to my local library in denmark in 2004 uh, and i looked after that book about throw-ins and um yeah uh there was no books at all and, and i also tried to search the internet but but uh, there wasn't really any serious things on the internet so i had to make my own throwing course and uh, I could have been starting with after my development of the course with an amateur team or a youth team. But uh, I had the courage to ask a local Superliga team in Denmark called Vibor. And uh, luckily enough, they said yes, they scored a lot of goals after throwing situations. And, and the second or the season after the 2005 6 season, I came to an even better Danish Superliga club called uh, FC Midtjylland. So uh, since two, 2004-5 season, I've been a professional throwing coach. Um, so I'm, I'm really enjoying my life uh, and my job. I'm, I'm thinking about throw-ins every day, dreaming about throw-ins sometimes. So, uh, <laughs> so, so yeah, I love it. Brilliant, brilliant, incredible, incredible backstory. You know, bringing you to uh, throw-ins and bringing you to your passion. Just, just when you said you're thinking about throw-ins every day, uh, for those of the people here that might follow you on social media, um, Bayern and Dortmund were playing in the Classica, and you were very vocal in saying that you felt the quality of throw-ins was poor. For for someone like myself, again, I'm only a coach that deals with twenty players. My throw-in knowledge is. I like to do my best to keep the ball. I have no, no, no massive expertise, and I'm I'm here to learn. You know, like like the majority of us. What is a bad throw-in, or what is a poor quality throw-in? Yeah, I can say that. Of course, a little bit later, I'll, I'll explain my my throw-in philosophy: the long, the fast, and the clever throw-in. But you can say in general, if you can just say one thing about good and bad throw-ins, you can say that if you're having a good throw-in, then you'll often create space so you're not under pressure as a team and when you're making a bad throw in it's the opposite you're often putting yourself into pressure zones and 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 especially high pressure zones that's dangerous that's that's improving your risk of of losing the ball either at the first touch after the the throw or the next passes and that was exactly what i saw in in the Dortmund Bayern match because and I've seen it I, I see it in, in every match no matter matter what what I see in the television that Dortmund and the Bayern players were really like first of all they play, played into pressure zones and it's and it's not like the teams I'm coaching they're doing it 100% perfect like Liverpool because we also lose the ball sometimes but they just on and on and on played into pressure zones and they made like really stupid mistakes but i don't blame blame the bayern players i don't blame the the dortmund players and the coaches the managers because the big challenge in in modern day football not only for pro players but also for amateurs and youth players is that the coaches and managers are lacking the knowledge about how can we keep possession after throwing under pressure or how can we create chances and score goals after throwing so so that's that's what i'm working with them um, with my long, fast, and clever throw-in philosophy, so it was not to be rude <laughs> to to the to the Dortmund and Bayern players. I just I 
Sorry. Yes. We just lost you there for a second. Sorry. Yeah, sorry, sorry, but to just come back to it. Um, it was not to be rude for the towards the Bayern players, the Dortmund players, but I just I just uh, said uh, what I saw in this match that they were putting uh, their teammates into to pressure situations they they could have avoided. So, uh, but but I can understand it because uh, I don't know if you heard this, but but the challenge is that managers. Uh, coaches and of course also the players are lacking knowledge uh, how how uh, you can keep the ball after throwing situation or score a goal after throwing situation that's what I'm I'm using my my um, my long fast and clever throwing philosophy for yeah and and it's very it's very evident in in some of the teams that you work with in terms of their transition work from uh, going from defensive zone to let's say the likes of Liverpool in a counter-attacking area, you know it's it's a very prevalent part of their game. Um, just just I just want to take you back to Midland where you started in terms of working with the Danish Super League. So you approach the coach at the time, you say you'd like to get involved. How does that work? Do you know? Do you just get to deal with five fullbacks, or do you get to deal with the team analyst, or what way does it work? First of all, I'm dealing with with uh, almost every staff on the team, because I'm 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 speaking with the manager or the head coach, what you call him or her on the team. I'm speaking with the assistant coaches. I'm speaking with the analysis people, and in some some teams that don't have analysis people, that's the the, the assistant coach who does it, and and in other clubs they have uh, like Liverpool four analysis analysis people working with the team. Uh, like daily and of course a gigantic data department in the back room uh, so I'll, I'm also working with them I'm also working with with um, with the physical staff because I'm also coordinating the intensity the intensity of the training and so and then I'll say you ask how many players do I coach yeah of course sometimes I'm coaching the fullbacks specifically with with throwing technique or precision or so but most of the time like 80 90 percent of the time I'm coaching all the players because if you if you want uh, my throwing philosophy to work, then all players have to be aware of what's happening. For example, when we have a throw-in, it's 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 really hard uh, to create space if it's only three out of five players around the thrower who are doing the work. It's also really really hard to uh, to defend the opponent's throw-in if if it's only four out of five people who are either pr uh, pressing or marking the way we want to do so it's really important that that um that i'm coaching all the players it doesn't necessarily have to be all the players at once for example i could could coach a four against four and then a thrower or a secret thrower uh, in a small square then nine players for 20 minutes then Perhaps we shift and then it's uh, nine new players. So here I had 18 players in 40 minutes. It could also be of uh, five versus five in a narrow pitch where we have a lot of throw-ins. Uh, then we're playing with big goals, two goalkeepers. And then we're doing uh, doing my 40 to 50 throw-in tools and all the basic throw-in things. And then after two minutes, we're shifting the team teams because it's really intensive. So all in all, it's 22 players here. We could also um, in training do 11 versus 11, uh, full pitch, uh, full match intensity. Then we'll perhaps take five throw-ins in, in each zone and work with three zones. And then we're playing every throw-in uh, totally out with the situation. So, and, and still doing doing by different tools and so. So um, back to your question, most of the time I'm coaching uh, many players and i think that's that's the most important thing or, or, or the most important thing with my my coaching is that that we have to uh, bring in the whole team okay yeah it's, it's very interesting you know um with with your coaching and with your methodology you know would you have a specific way of working so if you have let's say a 5v5 that you just described there you know every time it goes for a throw would, would you stop in order to make a point or would you coach like what they call in the flow? So would you comment coach and help them? Would you work and stop and work on specific areas of technique or receiving or movements? How, how, how would your methodology work in terms yeah. of that? It's a little bit different from exercise to exercise or drill to drill. For example, like I mentioned, it could be like, like four versus four and then one throw in a small square. In this kind of exercise, uh, perhaps we've done other exercises before, but in this, this kind of exercise, I can easily like 
jump into uh, in the middle of everything after throwing after a movement. But normally, if I'm doing like the five versus five, then they're playing like two minutes. I try to let them play for two minutes in a row to give them give them the uh, game flow, and then I'll I'll do the coaching in in the small breaks. So normally, I have a break one minute with with the shift. But I'm also encouraging not only the the players to think, but but also uh, the players who are not participating, so waiting for their time. So so it, can, it it'll, it's a little bit. Uh, different from from drill to drill what i'm i'm doing and i think i think it can be worthful to do it in, in many different ways so um yeah but i'm but i'm i'm both coaching on the pitch i'm also uh, doing video analysis mm -hmm. uh for example in 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 ajax i'm coaching in holland but also liverpool i'm i'm analyzing every match and then i'm sending video analysis back to uh, Jürgen Klopp or Erik Ten Hag. But I'm also, for example, doing talks when I'm in the club. It could be 45 minute talk for the staff or the staff and players. It could also be just a small 10 minute talk where I'm like highlighting five or six throw-ins from the last period since I was there uh, and then showing what we did we well, but also what we could do better. So I'm, you can say I'm working on, on, on three different levels. And I think that's one of my strengths. One thing is that I'm really passionate about throwing, thinking about throwing every hour, but I think I'm also skillful in different areas. Of course, I'm not saying I'm the best analyst in the world, but, but I'm also learning every day from, from professional analysts. But, but, uh, but my main stage naturally is, is on the pitch. Both because I've been playing a lot myself, but but because I've been coaching thousands of hours with throwing. So. Okay. Yeah. And and with you mentioned with uh, let's say working with uh, Mr. Ten Hag in, in Ajax and Mr. Klopp in in Liverpool, the differences. Would you would you have many differences or similarities in terms of how you might have to deliver aspects based on their style of play? I'll say though that there are, and of course it's really different to measure this, but. If you ask me, I'll think that in, in Liverpool and Ajax or Ghent in Belgium or Atlanta United in the States, I'm also coaching. Uh, it's perhaps 70, 80% that's the same with the training. And then the last 20, 30% that's really fit into the club's playing style, both with the, the, the general playing style with the club, because even though both Liverpool and Ajax like to have the ball, it's not just totally the same, but, about, but I'm also fitting my coaching into to the individual players because I'm using the individual players uh, throwing superpowers because some players are good at with the first touch, some players are good at protecting the ball, some players are fast, some players are good at creating space for the teammates. And from my point of view, it would be stupid not to use their strengths. So that's I'm really using that also in my um, in my training. And then on 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 top on, of everything, then you can say that the players are also using their own creativity, fantasy. Um, it's not like a, a playbook in American football where I'm, we are setting a play up and then we're just only doing this. Some people think that, like, for example, in Liverpool, we scored, we, we, we've been scoring 13 goals after throw-in situations this season and it's throw-ins all over the pitch. Three from our own penalty area, as you mentioned before, yourself, that with the transition uh, and, and that's really the hardest throw in, in, in the book or on the pitch in the match because you're under gigantic pressure often and, and if you lose the ball, it's really risky. But if you can play out of this pressure, there's a really good chance of a transition. Three of the other 13 goals are also when we've been, been, been taking the ball from the opponents when they had a throw in with certain kinds of marking and pressure. Um, so you, you, can, you can really... You can really make a, a difference with with the throwing coaching, and you can really fit fit like like my knowledge in into the playing style. So, but again, back to 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 the Liverpool some of the Liverpool goals. Some people think that when Liverpool scores a goal, then uh, it's because the Liverpool players are just running there and there and there and there. And if we're doing the same, we can have the same success. And that's really far away from the truth. Because of course they're running that way because we can see that. But the reason why the Liverpool players are running in these directions is first of all, they've learned all the basic things around 
throwing longer, throwing more precise, basic space creation. Then they've learned all the tools, 40, 50 tools in three zones. So if we're having a, a throw-in in the final third, then we might have 10 or 12 or 15 different options. So when Trent Alexander has a, has a throw-in in, in the right side as a fullback, we are trying to create space different places. And if the opponents are, are marking that, then we, we know we can create space other places. And on top of that, it, they're, they're finding their own angles and speed and everything. So, so you can't just reproduce uh, the things Liverpool are doing because that would be almost impossible for, for a team if you said that. Do the same run as these five guys did. No, it was not planned. It was just like, it was because of the high throwing intelligence uh, uh, developed through time. That's that, that's phenomenal looking at it, you know, because from the outside in, I, you would presume that it's something similar to a, a set play in terms of, let's say, a corner kick. You know, you, you'd often find coaches that have, let's say, a select book of 10 corners that they work on, uh, offensive, and these are the corners we do, guys and girls. And when I change club, these are the corners we do, guys and girls. Whereas you were saying these set plays need to be more kind of holistic and revolve around the players and their decisions. Yeah, I, I won't say they have to do that, but that just, that's just my style yeah. of throwing coaching. And, and, and you can say, of course, I know there are other people than me who are, has been having a, a, an opinion about throw-ins. So I'm not saying I'm the first one to think about throw-ins, but I'm pretty sure I'm the, I'm the first one to think about throw-ins every day and dream about throw-ins. So I, I, have, to, I have the chance to like, like, like call the first theory here. And for me, it's much more dangerous to have, you know, raise the basic uh, throwing intelligence from the play instead of, of a playbook. I'm not saying that you can't use a playbook playbook of course you can do that like in american football or in 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 the other set pieces like corners and free kicks but i just mean that it's much more dangerous to have um instead having a high uh, throwing intelligence because it's it's much harder to to mark for the opponents it's a little bit like like uh, let, let's go to barcelona with their tiki taka stylish play um it's it's not like they're saying that now messi has to to play him and him and then he plays him and he runs there he runs there no and then they score no it's because they've been playing a lot of rondo they're playing they, they've been improving the feeling of what to do when different kinds of pressure comes when the teammate runs there then i can pass there and there and then it's just totally natural that you can of course it's not the same but you can compare it a little bit with my throwing coaching so and 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 it's and it's much, much harder to, to, to mark. And of course, in a few occasions, not many, we are trying to do something in Liverpool or my other clubs that we know has a good chance of working. Uh, so sometimes in a few occasions, you can say, okay, we try to do this because we know there's a really, really big chance of it working. But it's not like, it's not like if we can't do that, uh, we can't do anything else. We have so many different options. And, and that's really the the weakness from many teams in, in top football and of course <laughs> even more in amateur and youth football is that most teams have either no throw-in strategy or a very simple one. I can say that in, in, in most matches if we're looking at throw-ins under pressure where the players are marked and for me it's the only relevant throw-ins to, to measure because if you're not under pressure it doesn't have any effect on, on a game. Um, in most uh, matches, we are 20, 30, 40% better than the opponents in, in Liverpool. But sometimes it can be even more extreme. For example, in the first Premier League match this season against Tottenham, we had nine out of nine throw-ins per session with Liverpool. That's 100%. It doesn't happen often. Uh, normally, we have between 65 and 85 or so. So 100% was really good. I think it happened five times in my two seasons in Liverpool. But Tottenham had only uh, 25%. They had four out of 16. And it was clear for me to see that if they couldn't throw it fast to a teammate, then they, they were just throwing the ball down the line. And that's mm. if you don't have any strategy for throwing the ball down the line, that's perhaps one of the worst things you can do. And it's not only Tottenham. In our first match against Bayern Munich in the Champions League last season, we had around 70%. That was fine for us in Liverpool. But Bayern Munich had only 28%. So it was the same like with Tottenham and, and most other teams. If they can't throw it fast to a free teammate, then, then they're lacking options. 
So, and, and back again to your comment around and my own comment around Dortmund Bayern game, it was the same again. You should have thought that, that my job in Liverpool was leaked in, in late August 2018 to the press. So people have had almost two full seasons. And you should think that, that again, clubs like Dortmund and Bayern, who has billions of, of, of pounds or dollars or, or euros in budgets, they will be like, by this time, really, really, or at least much better than they were earlier. But, but, but again, people are lacking uh, the knowledge. It doesn't matter if it's managers, coaches, or players. So, so I'll say, of course, I really enjoy now to, to help clubs. And, of course, things like winning the Champions League with Liverpool and so is fantastic. But by me, my biggest dream is to change football so we have better throw-ins, not only in pro football, but also in amateur and youth football. And that's also the reason why I'm, I'm writing on my book and, and publishing it in the future, because right now my knowledge is, is only available for, for the pro clubs. Or sometimes I'm coaching amateur or youth clubs, but then it's like there are some clubs who are going together and then they invite me or, or, or invite all the teams in the club and so so. But, but again, I'll say that's, that's my biggest uh, dream to change football. So instead of having, sorry, awful throw-ins, a lot of the time we will have many more fantastic throw-ins. So, uh, yeah. Oh, it's very, it's very unique, you know. Um, looking at you mentioned the success, you know. So you come at this from a very passionate angle, but you also mentioned that there needs to be success. You, you can't follow into the kind of just let's let's be passionate and let's be ro romantic about throwing. You come with the angle of success, and I, I just want to point out a stat here. Um, on doing my research, that when you entered Liverpool, they were number eighteenth in the 20-team Premier League for, that's possession retention, is it from throw-ins? Yeah, and it's uh, throw-ins under pressure. So you're not, we're, you're not measuring the throw-ins where there are an, an opponent 30 metres away because it doesn't have any effect on, on the games. But, but you're totally right. The, the numbers you are now saying are throw-ins under pressure where the players are marked. Okay. And, and, and just in terms of numbers here, I just want to give our listeners an idea. So that was... Their success rate was 45.4% here. And then based on last season's statistics from, number, from 2018 to 2019, they became number one in the Premier League. 68.4% um, was yeah. the possession retention under pressure. Um, and again, under pressure is, is, is they're being forced to make decisions. You, you know, it's not necessarily a playbook that will work. That is a quite significant jump um, especially if you look at ball retention and, and, and chances created, I'd imagine, from that area. Yeah, it's, it's really important. It's really important there. But it's just been an area that's totally been neglected. We've been playing football for 140 years. One of the easiest ways to see that the throw-ins are really neglected and not, not really, uh, really seen as something important is if you're just seeing a normal football match, doesn't matter what league it is, if you're seeing a player doing an unprecise throw-in or the team loses the uh, possession after throwing, you don't hear the commentator say anything. But if you do the same with the ball on your feet in the middle of the pitch, they'll say, oh, bad pass here, unprecise. And if it happens twice or third or three times, they'll say, is this player good enough to play on this team or, or let us take him out? But, but we've just been getting used to that throw-ins are bad. But it has the same consequence to lose the ball after throwing than if you're losing the ball with your feet inside the pitch. That you're risking of, of uh, you know, getting a goal against you or at least possession against you because you're often caught out of balance. It can be dangerous. Or if you're keeping the ball, you can keep possession or control of the game or create a chance of score a goal. So and 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 the funny thing is that if I'm asking. I'm asking players and coaches when I'm come, uh, uh, I'm arriving to a new club, and then I'm saying, for example, to the players, how many throw-ins do you think there are in a match for, uh, for both teams? And then some players saying, oh, 10, 15. They don't have, uh, they don't know it. And for me, that's okay. But when I'm saying there are no between 40 and 60 throw-ins in a match, they're like almost falling down the chair because players don't know how many there are, and of course that's all okay. And then. It's perhaps even more scary if you're looking at how many minutes you're using at throw-ins and throw-in related situations. 
when I'm doing the video analysis of throw-ins uh, for Liverpool FC, I'm getting two files. It's the attacking uh, throw-ins, our throw-ins, and defending throw-ins, the opponent's throw-ins. And that's just a few seconds before we get the throw-in in our hands or the ball in our hands. And then the following situations affected by what we're doing uh, with the throw-in. And these two files are normally uh, seven and a half to 10 minutes each. So normally we'll spend uh, 15 to 20 minutes in a match on throw-ins and throw-in related situations. So, and when you look at these numbers now, it's not small margins, it's not a small thing, it's actually like a gigantic thing. So, but, but now people realizing it is slowly, not only because I've been coming and trying to share my knowledge, but also because the last two and three years, the, the data and analysis has exploded in, in football. I think earlier it's been a really conservative sport, but I think r right now it's rocketing up, up there with analysis and data and knowledge. So now, uh, you know, a lot of people can really see that it's really meaningful to work with the throw-ins. The challenge right now is, as I mentioned before, the, 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 the people are lacking the knowledge. So uh, that's my job to, to give them the knowledge. Uh, yeah. And do, do you feel working with um, the clubs, you mentioned there's probably a 15, 20 minutes of a game that it'll take a throw-in. Do you feel it's a coincidence that the clubs you work with, the likes of Atlanta, who are, are very high-pressed, very fast-paced, uh, Liverpool, Ajax as well, and Ghent, do you feel that there's a coincidence that these play a certain style in terms of they look to play at very fast-paced? They're not, let's say, for want of a better term, a more direct uh, team, and they're, and they're utilising your services. I'll say that that that's. Um, I think there can be many many teams who are who can like employ me, and of course some teams is because they want to keep the pressure and everything. And of course, let's go to Liverpool. They're also a high pressing team. But if I have to say something about the throw-ins in Liverpool, I actually mean that one of the. Of course, it's good to keep possession. It's good to create chances, score a lot of goals after throw-ins. But what I also think that it's been giving Liverpool is that. If you're looking at the 17-18 season, the team played like this heavy metal football, like back and forth, back and forth. And it was really charming when, when the club was winning 3-0 or 4-3, and we just had a hell of a match. But you also have to remember in, in the 17-18 season, at least in the Premier League, that, that then the team won two, then they lost one, one drawn, one. The next game, lost the next one. So even though it was charming, it also meant that, that the team ended like really many points behind uh, Manchester City. And so I think my throwing coaching has not only contributed to uh, chances, goals, but it also contributed to more control uh, in the playing style of Liverpool FC. So now the team is more dominant. So, so I think that my throwing coaching can both be used for you know, the high intensity chances creating fast throw-ins, but it could also be used to getting control of, of things and, and not being pressured so much by the opponents. So, and, and that was the challenge in the 17-18 season, because as you mentioned yourself and as Jürgen Klopp said to me when he, when he called me the first time that they lost the ball almost every time, I know they had possession 45.4%, so they only lost it 54.6%, but that's, that, that, that's a lot of times uh, in a match, so I, th I think that my throwing coaching can contribute to a lot of different things compared to to um, to what club I'm coaching. But of course, it can really help if if the coach or manager, the head coach or manager, is like open-minded or innovative. So that, of course, that also always helps uh, in the thoughts about uh, uh, employing a throwing coach. Okay, brilliant. Brilliant. And with, um, just with, so let's say we've spoken about Liverpool quite a bit here, but you've, you've travelled across the world uh, coaching, you know, and you've engaged with, with different coaches across the world. Uh, and I know you said some of the sessions are similar. Is there a big difference in terms of, let's say, play, like player capabilities in terms of, do you need to, let's say you go into Liverpool and you have... Um, you have Alexander-Arnold, do you need to look at him physiologically and say, right, well, in order to achieve this type of throw-in, you need to improve this technique. You need to improve uh, this upper body strength, for say. 
is is that an aspect of your coaching as well? You know, you sp- you spoke about you work with many different aspects of the whole staff. Is this part of your remit as well? Yeah, it is. I think that that's the first uh, part of my throwing philosophy, the long throwing. And here I'm working with the um, players' throwing technique. I'm not really going into the players, uh, the physical side of the long throwing. And if I do, I coordinate it with, with the physical coaches. But it's not in the weight room. It's it's done by uh, improving the throwing technique or th- be throwing more efficient. I'm working with 30 different technical parameters, uh, and I'm also using video analysis. And most players are improving their throwing between five and 10 meters, and some up to 15 meters just with technical training. For example, I had a guy, young guy called Andreas Paulsen. He started out in I started with him in 2006. 16 or 17 he started out with a throw of uh, 24.25 before the throwing coaching in the first test and then in time he improved to 37.90 so almost 14 meters 13 meters and 65 in in june 2000 and and um and, and 18 he was sold to bruce munson gladbach as 18 year old for i think it was 3 million euros or something like that approximately 3 million pounds so um of course, and, and when you have a long throw-in like him, it can really be a dangerous weapon. But actually, I'm, I'm coaching long throw-ins uh, in the start of, of every club I'm in because, you know, you can only use the long throw-in as a weapon. Uh, if It's only perhaps 10% of every club can really use that as a weapon if you have really tall and strong players and so. But I'm doing the long throw-in coaching also in Ajax and Liverpool. And the reason is because the longer throw-in you have, the greater throw-in area you have. And you can also say that when you have a greater throwing area, you can have more throw to more teammates. Or if we turn it around, if you have a short throwing, then it's really easy for the opponents to put pressure on you. And for example, Andy Robertson from Liverpool, Robo, when he I started with him, he, he could throw approximately 19 meters. And that's very short for a male adult football player. And it meant every time Liverpool had a throwing in the left side, it was really really easy for the opponents to put him under pressure because he couldn't throw very far. But uh, Andy Robertson improved uh, very fast to around 27 meters, so up with eight meters. But he also improved his throwing area with uh, more than 500 square meters. So so even though Andy Robertson will never be one of the world's best with with the long throwing, you know, with the length, then then it's been meaning a lot for him. And on top of that, you can say that 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 Andy Robertson and also re- he's really good at the fast and clever throwing, as I call it, like both know when to throw fast, know when to have patience, but also knowing or seeing the space created by the movements uh, the outfield players are doing. That's the three zones, 45 different throwing tools. So so he's been going from, from a really, you know, bad thrower in uh, considering the length and also like like a pretty normal in in the fast and clever to world class you know so so for me him and and trent are at the moment the world two world best throwers not necessarily mentioned on on length but but in all and especially uh, if we look at their their uh, their meaning for liverpool's playing style I think it's phenomenal merging the the long with the fast and the clever um because I I I think you know the, the British side of the game had previously had the long throw in in the likes of Stoke you know and I was actually, I was listening to Tony Pulis on a podcast today say that he felt the teams would rather give away corners than give away throw-ins when he when he had Stoke and he, you mentioned the physical players so I, I I think mixing the long fast and clever is really really unique and uh, allowing the dec- the players to make the decision i think is really uh, in line with everything in terms of high level coaching yeah i'll just have a little comment here it's really important for me to say that first of all i think stoke were fantastic rodila fantastic too and i really love teams who are like playing full out in the playing style like you a little bit like barcelona or liverpool or RB Leipzig or Arsenal or Stoke, they're really like having, they're going after this specific playing style. I really like that. But it's also important for me to say that if you want to go 
and try to get success after a lot of long throw-ins like Stoke had, then you have to have a certain kind of team. They had eight players in the start 11 who was one meter and 90 and above. So that's really crazy. And I've, I've had myself, not this season, but the last season with FC Midtjylland, the last four seasons, they played like a little bit more physical. We scored 35 goals after long throw-ins. So eight, nine uh, goals per season. And it was because, first of all, I've been improved a lot of the players to really like have world-class throw-ins, but we also have some some big guys then that we didn't have now, like like some plus two meter uh, players. And so so there's nothing wrong with 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 going all in for the long throw-in if you have the right team. But for me, I'm really sad if if you don't have the right team and you let and you let your players do a lot of have good long throw-ins. I see it a lot in the Danish league, like the, the game yesterday again, uh, AGRF against the runners, and they just had like 20 bad long throw-ins. It was awful to look at because they weren't really dangerous, but it just stopped all the, the tempo. So again, you can have success with the long throw-ins as a weapon, set-piece weapon, but if you want to go all in on them, I think you should only do it if you have like the right physical team. And of course, uh, important one or several players who can not only throw far but also throw flat and hard a little bit like Roy Delap did because if you have a guy who's throwing long but <laughs> really high up in the air it's not really dangerous so and again but I'll say 90% of the teams I'm coaching all around the world they're not doing any long throw-ins towards the opponent's goal or they're doing a very few but then we are like having more focus on the, the fast and clever throw-ins there. Yeah. I think it's very interesting looking at, uh, and speaking to you today, you know, we're very grateful for you for joining us, but um, just in terms of your, in terms of your style and your ethos, it seems a very holistic approach. It seems very positive. Um, and it seems very in line with when you hear the people you work with in terms of, um, Eric Ten Hag and Jurgen Klopp speak, you seem to have a very all-rounded and holistic approach to uh, developing throw-ins within the game. Have you ever felt or thought about or even dabbled in being a head coach or a manager in, in, in terms of coaching? No, it's not interesting me at all. And perhaps it sounds a little harsh or what you say, hard to say. When you're in football, perhaps some some people would say, oh, you have to be interested in football. Of course, I love to see a football game. And I've also been coaching like my own son's team when he was small in football. So I love football. I love being with kids. I love to train. No matter if I'm training kids, youngsters, men, women, pros, amateurs, I, I just love it. But I'm not interested in like, like um, the whole game as a coach. Of course, I have my opinion, like everyone else who sees. I think we we are all like like uh, miniature coaches, <laughs> so you know in real life. But it's never been my interest to um, to to look at other things, and that's perhaps my strength because I'm only thinking about throw-ins. And if you're only thinking about throw-ins, then then you're knowing a lot about throw-ins, especially if you're researching and, and trying to get knowledge from not only football, but other sports like I've been doing myself, but also like basketball. been playing a lot of street basketball. I'm, I'm really using that in my throwing coaching too. So I'm, um, I'm only thinking about throw-ins. And I think that, that in one of the press conferences, uh, Jürgen Klopp said, I think you can find on the internet something like, uh, you should think that that if you speak with a person, he he knows what ha what's happening on the pitch. But when I'm speaking with Thomas, he only knows uh, about the throw-ins when we talk about a match. I, I don't think he said it this way, but I think he 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 said that you know I'm really 100% focused on the throw-ins. So of course I'm 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 working a lot with with movements in the pitch. How can we use our throw-ins uh, to to create chances and so? But but I never thought about being a being a head coach. So, um, but it's cool for those who, who really like it. I admire people who are also going into coaching, no matter if it's in in football or other sports. So, yeah. Yeah, it's very it's very interesting. You, you mentioned uh, basketball because when you were speaking earlier, that was the first thing that was kind of coming into my head in terms of having control in areas and situations where possibly you shouldn't having control in transition or having control in a counter attack. So it's it's very interesting you mentioned that. Um, 
So just we're, we're somewhat near getting near the end now. Um, so we're just I'm just going to fire out a question in terms of would you have any recommendations or is there I know you're designing you've just designed your website which is fantastic um, and I know you're you're designing your book which which I actually emailed you out I'm eager to read um, is there recommendations you'd give so a lot of people might be involved in let's say youth development phase of the game or even in professional phase or semi-amateur or semi-professional sorry in terms of recommendations, would you say, look, in order to improve your throwing, you need to do one thing. You need to practice for 10 minutes a week or 20 minutes a week. Do you, yeah. do you, do you have anything along them lines? Yeah, I'll, I'll give you two things. I hope it's okay. First of all, I'll, I'll, uh, I think that coaches, no matter if it's uh, kids, uh, youngsters, amateurs, pros, they should start with, with the, the short and middle distance throw in precision. Why is that important? Because a lot of, a lot of the position lost on throwings under pressure are because instead of throwing to the feet, the players, the receiver is getting to the knee, to the hip, to the chest. And it means, first of all, that you're risking of losing the ball already when the receiver gets it. But also, if the receiver makes a return pass or a pass another places another place in the pitch, this pass will have a lower quality if the first throw-in isn't precise. So, can you make uh, can you make some precision exercise to the feet in your training? Of course, you can also do it with cones and so. I have some exercises on my on my YouTube channel, but you can also do it with with um, with players too. And I'll say um in in just when it's opening up again, I'll I'll have. I'll give you the world best exercise for creating space and, and, and throwing precision to the feet. But until I can, I can film again after Corona, uh, you have to try to, to do it yourself. Try to work with the throwing precision to the feet with different exercises, also where the players are running. And so I think you can make your own too. Why is that important? As, as I mentioned again, we are losing a lot of balls after throwing uh, uh, pressure because it's unprecise. When I'm asking the pro players, have you been, have you been doing this throwing position in, in training to the feet? No. When I'm asking the coaches, pro coaches, no, but they're expecting that good players can do it. Then I'm going down to the academy. Then I'm asking, how much did you work with the throwing position with the players? Oh, we haven't really, but we think that players should be able to do that. Then I'm going down to the kids' coaches and I'm asking them to, and they're not doing it either. And it's, I'm not blaming any coach at all, but I'll just have to say that people are expecting that you can throw precise with your hands, but I'll just say it's a whole lot of things to throw precise from two and a half meters than, than pass precise with your feet at, at the ground. So that's the first thing. Do a throw in precision exercises with your players. I'll recommend that you're doing it um, in like the eight to 12, 15 meters from the thrower. The reason why you shouldn't do it four or five meters from the thrower is because if you're taking that option in a match and the receiver has a, is marked, then if you're making a return pass, you can do other things, of course, but if you're making a return pass, then the thrower will be under tremendous pressure. So, so learn your players that if you're choosing a return pass, then, then he or she has to to, to uh, choose a player who's at least eight to 10 meters from them. Because when the ball comes back then, then they have more time of controlling the ball, making them the next pass. So that was the first advice. The second advice is if you're just looking at pro players, most in most teams they're either standing totally still out in the field or they're only moving one or two meters. And even if you're moving one or two meters, you aren't creating any space. Uh, if you want to create space, you have to drag the opponents. If you want to drag the opponents, your players have to run 10, 12, 15, 20 meters, of course, to create space for themselves. But if they're not doing that, they'll probably create space for the teammates behind them. So, and of course, I can't tell you my 40 to 50 tools or not to do what, what to do in each of the three zones. But, but uh, my advice is, is to let your players do a lot of mm. movements. And then you have then you have to have patience with, with the players. If you want to learn your players to create space and throw into the space created, then it will go wrong sometimes. 
but you can ask yourself as a coach, would I rather lose the ball if we try to create space or, or would I rather lose the ball because we just threw it down the line? I hope you'll, you'll, you'll rather lose the ball where your players, uh, players try to create space because if you're just throwing it down the line, then there's a big risk of losing the ball. So again, I'll say try to create players uh, try to create space with your players, move 10, 12, 15, 20 meters, and then have patience. It's a development. You can't, you can't go from, from bad to, to top level in, in two weeks. So, uh, yeah, so that was my two pieces uh, of advice. Fantastic, fantastic. Um, I, I think they're very good. I've, t I've taken a couple of notes here myself, you know. Um, I'm very grateful for you for taking your time out of your day. This is uh, number 59, is it, or close? Yeah, something like that. But, it, but it's just import, important for me to say that, that um, for me, it's not about, about size of the media or the people who are contacting me. I've been to build like the last month in Sky Sports Germany. Earlier, it was New York Times, Forbes magazine. But I don't, I don't uh, you know, uh, slice people up in how important they are. I'd rather look at people uh, compared to their passion. So if I'm, I, I can feel passion from people, you're reaching out to me, would you like to speak to, to me so other people can hear it? All the people who are here today who have been taking time out to, 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 be, to learn things, uh, I'm really happy for that. For me, that's total passion. So that's also the reason why I'm feeling passion uh, when I'm coaching Liverpool FC, but I'm also coaching a, a U12 uh, girls team somewhere in the world. I'm also happy for that. So, so it's also me who's who's saying thanks for letting me be here. I'm really happy about that. Perfect. Thank you, Thomas. And if if anyone is looking to uh, get in touch with Thomas, he's on Thomas uh, Thomas Gronemark de is or dk uh, Thomas Gronemark com. Oh, dot com. Okay. Brilliant. Yeah, dot com. Yeah, I bought the dot com. I think that was better international. Yeah. And then people can also, uh, you know, you can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram. I also have a YouTube channel. I think you just have to, to type in Thomas Gronemark, then you'll find me somewhere. You're listening to the Coach Ella podcast with your host, Phil Trill.